you want victory, you can have it in Christ Jesus. Time once again for Abiding in Christ with Jim Wood. You have to step back, evaluate the various positions in light of Scripture, and then re-engage with a godly perspective. Pastor Wood is the founder of Weirs Valley Ranch, a Christian home and school for kids from crisis family situations. Jesus said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You can contact the program by calling 866-41-ABIDE or by visiting us on the web at wvr.org. And now, without further delay, here's your host, Jim Wood. This is Martin Luther King Day. So I'm going to talk this morning about something that arguably almost got me killed back in the 1970s. I was uh, working at a children's home in Mississippi, and one of my responsibilities pretty often at that point was to uh, speak in, in chapel there at the academy. And um, one of the children in our home, Mariah, had been threatened by some of the older, bigger students on campus because he uh, had a sister who went to the local middle school and she was an exceptionally good basketball player. And the only student at that middle school that she could find who was really competitive with her level of skill was a young African-American student, um, or a black student, as uh, they preferred to be called at that period in history. So she and that student played basketball together a lot and became very good friends. I mean, they were just good friends. Well, this was very upsetting to some of these white kids. And so they, feeling, I guess, that to bully her was going beyond the pale because they were male and she was female and even every scoundrel has a code of ethics. They decided instead it would be easier and perhaps in somebody's eyes, like Lucifer's, more defensible to attack her little brother and bully him and threaten him that they would beat him up if he didn't make his sister stop playing basketball with that black guy. Well, when word of that got to me, I was angry, as I should have been. And I made it clear to those boys that they better not ever threaten one of my boys again, or they'd have me to answer to. And uh, the more I meditated on that, the more I was just angry, not just at what they had done, but at that whole racist culture that permeated the campus and community. And um, so I decided to preach about it. I prayed, asked the Lord to guide me, and the Lord led me to a passage in the Old Testament, which I invite you to turn to right now. It's Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. This is God's word. Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because of the Cushite woman he married, for he had married a Cushite woman. They said, does the Lord speak only through Moses? 
Does he not also speak through us? And the Lord heard it. Moses was a very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. Suddenly, the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, you three come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them went out. Then the Lord descended in a pillar of cloud, stood at the entrance to the tent, and summoned Aaron and Miriam. When the two of them came forward, he said, Listen to what I say. If there is a prophet among you from the Lord, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. I speak with him directly, openly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? The Lord's anger burned against them, and he left. As the cloud moved away from the tent, Miriam's skin suddenly became diseased, resembling snow. When Aaron turned toward her, he saw that she was diseased and said to Moses, My Lord, please don't hold against us this sin we have so foolishly committed. Please don't let her be like a dead baby whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes out of his mother's womb. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, God, please heal her. The Lord answered Moses, If her father had merely spit in her face, wouldn't she remain in disgrace for seven days? Let her be confined outside the camp for seven days. After that, she may be brought back in. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on until Miriam was brought back in. After that, the people set out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. What was upsetting to Miriam and to Aaron, apparently especially to Miriam. Miriam was Moses' older sister who had watched out for him when he was just a baby in a, in a basket set down among the reeds in the Nile. When Pharaoh's daughter realized that it was a baby and, and rescued him, Miriam was the one who came and said, would you like for me to arrange for one of the Hebrew women to nurse him, and then her mom got paid to nurse her own baby who had been under the sentence of death because of Pharaoh's hideous law. Miriam, I'm sure, from that moment on, felt like Moses owed his life to her. After all, she had been there for him when he was just a little baby. When mom was nursing him, no doubt Miriam helped look after him. And so now all these years later, Moses has been chosen by God to lead the people out of Egypt, but Miriam's still the big sister. Miriam felt she had a right to criticize. She had a right to be upset because Moses had done something that to Miriam was shocking. He had married a Cushite woman. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. What, what, is, what is a Cushite woman? Well, that's a woman from Cush. 
Oh, thanks, that helps a lot. Okay, any more information you can give me? Yeah, the word Kush means black. That's what the word means. It means black. Moses had married a black woman. If you were to just bring it from the original language over to English, Moses married a black woman. Miriam was upset by it. And so she and the older brother, Aaron, criticized Moses for this. God got upset with both of them, but especially with Miriam. And so God said, you like white? I'll make you white. And suddenly her skin was diseased in such a way that she was white. Okay? That wasn't just an unfortunate look in terms of fashion. She was obviously sick with a disease that normally would progress and destroy her. And so, in that situation, Aaron is terrified when he sees her. Okay? I mean, after the Lord has done this, Aaron looks at her. She doesn't realize yet what's happened. It doesn't say Miriam saw herself and cried out to the Lord. Well, this was a situation where God struck her with this disease. She turns white as snow, and Aaron sees it and goes, Oh, no, we've got a problem. Moses cried out to the Lord on her behalf. She was criticizing him. God rebuked her and Aaron and then struck her with this disease, and Moses is now interceding on her behalf. And God says, okay, but she's going to have to spend a week outside the camp. She's going to be in isolation for a week. That's punishment. Well, what do we learn from this? I mean, my suggestion in the mid-1970s, down in Mississippi, rural Mississippi, town with no traffic light, was that there are a lot of people who think they're not racist. You know, oh no, I, I get along fine. But the point, at least back then, in that place, where all of a sudden the racism poked up on the back of people's neck, was with the idea of a black person marrying a white person. Okay? That was going too far. That was being too friendly. That was why it was especially upsetting for this young girl to be playing basketball and becoming really good friends with this young man. Because it was like the vision of the future where black people and white people aren't really concerned about color anymore. Now, that was the mid-1970s. In the early 1960s, a man named Martin Luther King had led a huge, peaceful rally in Washington, D.C., calling for civil rights in this country. And he made a statement that is just really a great picture. This is an excerpt from his speech. 
In the midst of it, it's called the I have a dream speech. And he said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Now, think about that for a moment. He said, I envision a time when my children can live in a world where your skin color really isn't important. What matters is your character. That was his dream. More than 10 years later in Mississippi, when I preached on this, a group of guys in the town got together and promised each other that they wouldn't eat anything until they had killed me. And the chief of police took it seriously enough that he was a one-man police force. He didn't want to have to defend me, so he turned in his badge and the keys to the cruiser and said, I quit. I don't want to get between them and that guy up there at the academy. Well, what I said was, there are two kinds of people in this world. There are those who are saved and those who are lost. And Scripture doesn't forbid interracial marriage. It does forbid a Christian marrying a non-Christian. That is explicitly forbidden in the New Testament. A Christian must not marry a non-Christian. A Christian must not marry a non-Christian. You might want to jot that down. But if a person is a Christian, then there is no more prohibition against interracial marriage than there is against people of various heights marrying each other. Oh, don't marry that person. They're, they're not as tall as you. How stupid would that be? What if blondes could only marry blondes? Okay? Then all their kids would have to spend the rest of their lives covered in sunscreen. Okay? Who you marry should have nothing to do with race. Who you're friends with should have nothing to do with race. Because there is one race. The human race. And all the ethnicities within the human race are just variations on a theme. But the idea that somehow we need to separate is an artificial way of manipulating people that is evil in nature. Well, I preached that, and they decided they wanted to kill me. And, um, and three nights later, they did. They came and they killed me, and that's why I'm not here today. <laughs> Obviously, God spared me. I'm grateful. After about a week, they got hungry, and they gave up on trying to kill me. One of them threatened me with a knife after that when I went back into town. But the chief of police resumed his 
job as chief of police, which, you know, I kind of had questions about his qualifications after that. But, but I didn't say anything because I figured I'd stirred up enough trouble and made enough enemies. But, but I'll, I'll tell you this. What I was preaching was not some radical new progressive thing. It was the gospel. Because the gospel says, if you don't know Jesus, you need to get saved. And if you do know Jesus, you need to love your brothers and sisters, which include people of all different groups. And furthermore, you need to love your neighbor, even the ones who are lost. Because some of them are still part of God's family, and they just haven't surrendered to Jesus yet. I want to remind you of something from the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 7, beginning in verse 9. After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. All the angels stood around the throne, And along with the elders and the four living creatures, they fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, Who are these people in white robes and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he told me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. The one seated on the throne will shelter them. They will no longer hunger, they will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. For the Lamb, who is at the center of the throne, will shepherd them. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Is there going to be segregation in heaven? In heaven? No. But you read to the end of the book, as you all just did recently, and there is segregation from heaven. The Bible says that outside will be, and it gives a whole list of the unredeemed. People whose lives were controlled by this sin, this sin, this sin, this sin. Those whose identity was found in their sin outside forever cut off from the presence of God. But in heaven, we're gathered around the throne. We're worshiping him. Folks, that's the way Christians are to live now. 
Our focus is on Him, not what we look like, not what the other person looks like. Our focus is on Him. Martin Luther King was far from perfect. He was a very flawed man. But he was a courageous man who put his life on the line more than once. In order to call for justice, he grounded his call in the words of the prophets. And he longed for the day when people wouldn't be treating each other differently based on skin color. I still long for that day. And many who are supposedly concerned about race relations, civil rights, are actually pushing for the opposite of what Martin Luther King asked for. They want a place where your identity is wrapped up in your skin color, where what you can and cannot do is based on skin color. And they would look at a guy like me and say, "Ah, you're a heterosexual white male, therefore you are automatically racist. You can't not be racist. You have experienced white privilege and therefore you are racist. And you just can't help it, you'll always be that way. And sadly, I know some white male heterosexual preachers who have bought that lie and who will say, nice people, but they'll say, yes, I realize I, I, I am a racist, I'll, I'll always be a racist. Well, you know what that's like? It's like saying, yes, I realize I am a drunk and I'll always be a drunk. I am an adulterer and I'll always be an adulterer. I am a thief and I'll always be a thief. You know what? That's a lie from the enemy. If you have a problem with racist attitudes, confess it for what it is. It's sin. Ask God to not only forgive you, but to change you. And I know something about God. He keeps his promises. And he'll do it. He'll do it. I've watched him do it in people. Changing their hearts, changing their minds, putting them in situations where that racism was stripped away. I've seen him do it with black people. I've seen him do it with white people. I've seen him do it with Asians. God knows what he's doing. And he will change you. But if you think because of the color of that person's skin, they're a racist, whether it's black or white, you're the racist. Because you're judging that person on the basis of their appearance. You're doing the exact opposite of what Martin Luther King said he longed to see. Well, I, I think, you know, it's natural just to be kind of drawn to people who are, you know, more like you. I know some black people who are a lot more like me than some white people I know. Really? Absolutely. I had a wonderful time in Kenya because I was meeting with my brothers and sisters. We're family, okay? 
And what animates the people that I'm talking about is their love for Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what gets them up in the morning. That's what determines what they're going to do with their time, with their energy, with their money. They are focused on serving my Lord Jesus like I am. If you're focused on something else, you don't just need to work on your racial issues. You need to get saved. You need to realize that this life is going to be over so soon and the only thing that matters, the only thing that's going to last forever is your relationship with Him. Everything else going by in an instant. You've been listening to Abiding in Christ. If you have questions that you'd like for us to tackle on the program or comments that you want to make, I want to invite our listeners to call 866-41-ABIDE. That's our toll-free number, 866-41-ABIDE. Or contact us on the web at wvr.org.